This episode contains discussion of teen suicide and domestic violence. Welcome to the Bad Associations Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and on this episode, I'll be speaking with Christina. Christina was introduced to the cult by her mother, who was an adult convert. She was baptized at eight years old, but never really fit in the culture in respect to being closed off from the world. She grew frustrated by the hypocrisy and the amount of attention the witnesses paid to the appearance of things pretty early on, and also struggled under the regime of what she calls her helicopter parent mother. We talk about how difficult it was for her to make friends, even in the Kingdom Hall, facing a judicial committee for being kidnapped and assaulted, dealing with the initial guilt over celebrating holidays, and much more. I hope you enjoy this interview. I did. So let's get started. Can you tell me about the time you first questioned the religion? I would say when I deeply started questioning it would have been when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that was mostly because I kind of started to think about hypocrisy a lot. I started adding up everything I had seen thus far, so around 14 years old. Uh, I started to really look into what I was being told within the home, um, from the congregation, and then how I was actually feeling and what I was actually seeing as far as actions. Sure. Words were such a huge thing. You know, it was all about um, appearances. And I realized that things were very different uh, internally, how the people were, what was expected of me and how I felt. And I started to kind of butt heads um, with my family, predominantly my mother. She was very, or she is very, very, much involved she's a very uh, zealous jehovah's witness to this day you butted heads with her like how she was extremely controlling she was a helicopter parent and mm-hmm. you know her upbringing was not that of a jehovah's witness she actually was baptized in her 30s she's from Colombia, from south america oh, okay. so she was here around the 70s and then the witnesses came to her doorstep and she thought it was, it was wonderful. Uh, she felt that this is what she wanted for her future. Something that preached justice for everyone. Uh, there was, you know, kindness, love, and she felt that this was a great message. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, she grew up thinking this is a, or she, you know, became an adult believing this was the truth, obviously. And she was very severe with my sisters and I, my sister's, significantly older than I am. I was the youngest by about 10 years. Okay. And so she had a lot of expectations on me. So, you know, I, I was born into the truth. I was baptized by the time I was eight years old. Oh my. And <laughs> yeah, I was pretty young. So I decided to make a, a life decision at eight. <laughs> um, so, you know, I was a golden child and there was a lot of expectations from that, you know, just giving the, the great comments, trying to sound intelligent, you know, just being perfect. And when I started entering my teens, my, I guess, tastes and things started to change. There was a whole world out there that I, I wanted to experiment, but at the same time felt guilty. But sure. I was just so interested in culture and everything going on. 
and nothing was approved. My mother would start searching my backpack every day after school. She even went to my school and uh, had the principal open up my locker because I had started making art that she felt was scary in her words. Okay. And granted that gave me the reputation of a drug dealer at school because what mom goes to, you know, get art from their kid's locker. Sure. (laughs) Nobody understands the context. No. And I guess I I seemed cooler in high school than I was because I didn't do drugs (laughs) in high school, but (laughs) I was just a dork doing some drawings. But, um, yeah, she, she became very severe. Everything I did, was evil. Everything I did, she thought I was uh, working with demons. She became very paranoid. Mm. And that was, a, that was a big, big problem and issue between us. Um, by the time I was 16, I was really thinking about ending it all oh, wow. uh, for myself because it was too much. I felt too much pressure. Um, Things didn't feel right, and I felt trapped. Like, I was never going to get out of this nightmare. I didn't feel that I fit in with the way I was brought up and what was expected of me. And when you're young, you just don't realize that you can get out of this, that there is hope, Mm -hmm. um, that you don't have to live a lie forever. Yeah, it's it's just so hard to see that far in the future when you're a kid and, and everything. So you were baptized at eight. Did anybody, like, kind of try and pump the brakes on that? Or was it all just like everybody jumping on the accelerator and pushing you towards it? No, absolutely. Everyone was all for it. It felt, you know, when you're a child, you want to be praised and you want to feel that you're doing the correct thing, especially in that situation. Everybody was completely for it. The elders were were marveled, you know, when they asked questions for um, baptism and everybody was just so thrilled you know it felt like I was you know I finally had the approval for life like I was loved yeah for making this decision and honestly all I was doing was regurgitating things that I read in their books in their literature and yeah uh, just being able to parrot that word for word uh, and saying hey I'm going to do this for the rest of my life even though I I just got finished playing with Barbies, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, Yeah, and and nobody stopped to tell me out of all of these adults, hey, maybe you need to think about it. You know, they could even be uh, reasonable and say, hey, I I understand that you're very excited that you believe in Jehovah, but this is a big decision. You know, let's revisit it. But that was not the case. It's unfortunately more common than it should be to see children that young getting baptized for sure. The irony is that they teach that they're unlike, let's say, the Catholic Church, where they wouldn't baptize a baby because, you know, they they can't make a conscious choice for the rest of their lives, yet they allow very young children to still get baptized. Oh, yeah. Really, what is the difference between an eight-year-old and an infant, there really isn't a whole lot in terms of how much do you know about a religion? You know, how ready are you to make a, to make a lifelong decision? Like you, they wouldn't let you get married to a person at that age. Absolutely not. But you're getting married to an organization effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. And that will dictate the rest of your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when you got baptized, you were, you felt at the time you were completely uh, sincere about it. You you really meant it when you did. 
or were there like, was it just like a feeling of I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do? Absolutely. And as I mentioned, by the time I was 16, I was heavily, heavily questioning everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I had found some solace within peers in high school that, you know, just seemed to have a, a nicer demeanor. They were more welcoming. They were warm and genuine than what I could expect in Kingdom Hall. Um, I just felt like, you know, the riffraff in high school was a lot more pleasant than um, these God-fearing Christians. And, you know, through my teenage years, I, I didn't party, you know, I didn't take any drugs. I didn't, you know, fornicate in their words. I, you know, I was a straight A student, but I enjoyed the company of others and I, that weren't witnesses. That was just my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, it, it seemed like there was this whole world out there and I, I wanted to read different books and I wanted to know even how these kids live. Like even these kids that partied, I wanted to know what their lives were like. I was just genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed to me that it wasn't as bad as they they had said. My mother started to catch wind of my friends in school. Granted, I never hung out with them after, but um, she started you know finding notes and things in my backpack. But this was before, you know, this was in the '90s, so yeah, we didn't have uh, social media. Oh no! But <laughs> so she ended up. Uh, catching some wind and she sent me to to Columbia to South America and lived there to oh get my. me away from the bad association. Wow. Yeah, I, I was 16. Um, and really it, it just got worse because I, I met more cool people. There. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's yeah, no, and, there's no bad association in Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. No. So, yeah, just, just send me far away and people don't exist there. Right. There's no um, world. There's no worldly people there. <laughs> Absolutely not. They're all witnesses. No. <laughs> Columbia is known for that. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, in a way, I, I, so you were like, you were basically just, you are, you were wired to be a worldly person in the truest sense of the word. Like just wor- like you want to know about other people, other cultures, other points of view and everything. And that's just, there's just no room for that in the witnesses. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to try everything. I, I was uh, the wrong kid, I think, for my family. I just was born wanting to, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the world, and I want to, like, how exciting to be a human on Earth and want to mm-hmm. just, like, you know, even from their point of view, everything Jehovah created, I want to try it. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Right. Uh, <laughs> was that the first time you'd been to Columbia, or had you been before? I had been when I was, when I was younger, about 13. Mm-hmm. I lived there for about a year. Um, but the second time that I went when I was 16, I was extremely, you know, grumpy teenager. I was like, Oh no, I don't want to be in Columbia. I want to be with my friends in California and I want to just be there. But, you know, I made the most of it. Um, I I actually just took the time more. Um, the schools there are a bit more advanced than they are in the U S for regular schools. So I was exposed to a lot more philosophy and just you know, things that interested me, I, I just like to learn a little bit about everything. And um, it actually made it worse for my parents. By the time <laughs> I returned to the U.S., I was reinvigorated with all this, you know, lust for knowledge and life. Yeah. So they, um, they really screwed up by doing that then. They sure did. They sure <laughs> did. Um, well, good. For, of- it was good for you, but not for them. Not for them. Not yeah. at all. 
Um, during this time, I spent a lot of time on on the internet. Um, and no, not apostate sites either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was just learning about like world cultures, different religions, and I was really into this band that maybe you've heard of, <laughs> Smashing Pumpkins. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I had I... joined their like, server. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, like a okay, fan like, like a fan forum or something? Yes. And I started making friends there, and I met a couple of people in real life. And um, at this point, I was already, just to give you an approximation of timeline, I was about 18. Mm-hmm. And I had met some friends locally there, worldly friends from the forum. And um, one of them came to have lunch with me at the office that I was working. The office I worked at was full of Jehovah's Witnesses. My boss was a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, wow. My coworkers were. Okay. And this poor kid did not know, you know, I, you know, I kind of explained my situation, but he didn't know the depth of how careful he had to be mm-hmm. and the verbiage he would use around them. And I had been planning my escape and this was a friend and we were going to get an apartment with roommates. That was the plan, but mm-hmm. that was a secret. You know, I was like plotting my, uh, right. <laughs> my departure and he let them know in the elevators like, Oh, you know, Christina and I are going to be roommates soon. Oh no. The other witnesses in there. And this started the beginning of the end of many things. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, cause he's a boy and you're a girl at the time and that's not acceptable to them. No, not at all. So, you know, that led to being talked to, I, I didn't get into any significant amount of trouble because I didn't actually move out. Okay. Um, but you so, were just caught planning on it. But at that point, you know, my reputation started to get more marred. I wasn't the golden child. Mm. Um, I was the, the pioneer that wasn't going to pioneer anymore. And um, I started kind of being cast little by little as a, a bad apple or one to be weary of, you know. Sure. Um, furthermore, this is a story that I don't. I have never really shared publicly because it is very, uh, there's a lot of violence in it. Mm. Um, shortly after I met some other man online and he had psychological issues. He was not a witness. Mm. Um, he flew in from Washington state to meet me. I didn't want him to, and he kept pursuing and pursuing me. Um, he had an addiction problem. He was addicted to heroin amongst other things. I had never been exposed to these things. I wasn't sure, but what I felt was empathy. And I remember helping him many times trying to give him food or, you know, shelter or water. Um, but there was nothing going on between him and I. Yeah. However, to this day, I don't know who reported me. I had been followed. Oh, and, <laughs> On one of the occasions that I uh, went to go take him some soup, the elders were outside of the place where he was staying. It was like one of those weekly lodges. Okay. And they were right outside the doorstep. And I was, I thought it was not true. It was very surreal to me. Um, They told me that, or they asked me if I was there with the man. And I said, yes. And they're like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, I am bringing some soup. (laughs) He's sick. And I told them I have to get back to work because I was on my lunch break. And 
I already knew that I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, we'll talk to you tonight uh, at the meeting. And how did that go? Oh, well, I, I had, I was living with my parents at the time and I got home from work. I told my mom what happened. I'm like, I haven't told you this, but I have been talking to someone online. He's, you know, been visiting me. And obviously she knew something weird was going on uh, for a while. Sure. And she's like, you're not going to go talk to them. You're not going to go talk to them because I was unaware of the situation. You're living under our household and these elders have been following you and, you know, they should have informed me. Hmm. And, you know, she felt that also she wasn't told who was following me and she felt something wasn't right. Oh, wow. So she was, she was kind of kept out of it too. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So she had me quit my job and I was going to go live with my sister a few hours away. Huh. Um, and that was a, the process that took a couple of months. Uh, I stopped communication with that man from Washington, but then it started again. And he told me that he'd been in a hospital, that he was not well and that it was my fault. Oh, geez. I had stopped taking care of him and I had abandoned him. And no, um, the it's thing not. is, <laughs> no, no, I know this now, but um, when you're raised Jehovah's Witness in a bubble, and granted, I was, you know, a book nerd. I wasn't, I, I wasn't uh, out doing things. I was extremely naive. Oh, sure. And, and you had a good nature. I mean, you were trying to help this guy, like genuinely, it sounds like. So it sounds like he had kind of a manipulative personality. So. That's really uh, not great. <laughs> and I do think I need to talk about this because it, it presents the dangers of, you know, in a high control group, a cult. Of is course, yeah. How naive, how naive people can be in there. And especially, you know, in contrast with the world, you can be taken advantage of. You know, I luckily was never abused, you know, sexually within the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm, you know, that happens a lot. But even if you're not, you're still at a disadvantage when you grow up. That way you can still be taken advantage of and abused by other people. You know, oh, it just sure. is ground for, for very awful things. It, it, it's a disservice um, for the adults or for the organization, the leaders, to do this to other people because that's what it comes down to is the leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Going back to the story, <laughs> I very naively ended up leaving with this person to Washington State. Mm. And what occurred after that was the beginning of, of something very awful. This man was extremely violent. Um, oh, no. I ended up being kidnapped. I was locked in a room for months um, wow. at a time where I was both uh, abused um, physically, mentally. Um, every which way <laughs> you can imagine. And I stayed there. You know, a lot of people want to understand, well, why did you stay there? Well, I was locked up, but also I felt I deserved it. Mm-hmm. I felt that this was my punishment for leaving Jehovah. Oh, wow. I thought, this is what I get. And I remember specifically at one point I was in so much pain and I was reaching out to Jehovah and I was, I told him I, I did this because in my heart, I thought it was the right thing. I was trying to help someone. Of course. Yeah. I was in my heart and I, and I was confused. I'm like, Jehovah, why don't you understand this? I thought you were love. 
I understand you have rules and I broke them and this is why I have to go through this, but why can't you see past that? Um, and I was, I asked him for help, but he didn't help me. And I think at that point was like when I officially became an atheist. Um, but yeah, that was a, a, a big, big ordeal. I ended up um, being able to get a hold of a phone. I reached out to my mother and they called the police and they were able to get me out of that situation, which was extremely traumatic. I ended up weighing a little bit over 80 pounds by the time I was, um, Oh rescued goodness. from that situation all to come back home and go through a judicial committee oh are you serious yes and wow. to be asked questions about personal things if i enjoyed them what yeah <laughs> why why would oh my god i yeah. you know i i would almost be surprised but i've talk to enough yeah. people to where I am not surprised at this by I'm not surprised by this at all. Um it's just no. shocking it's shocking behavior. Like no normal thinking person would even think to you know ask an abuse victim or somebody who went through that, you know, if they why why would they think that? Like that's it it boggles my mind. I, it's, it's, yeah, I'm so sorry. I you still don't that. understand. <laughs> it, you know, it was a long time ago. Um, yeah, I've been through a lot of therapy, a lot of, you know, reading and healing, thankfully, but you know, those things just don't always just go away. You know, yeah. it, it leaves a scar on you. And to think that so many people uh, are a victim of this cult and others and, it's frightening, and this is why I wanted to do the interview or why I speak out. Yeah. Um, because it, it is dangerous. I don't want it to be my life and live in anger, but I do think awareness is important, and you know, it, it is for some people to to let others know and spread the word. Hmm. So, what was the outcome of the judicial committee? Well, uh, it was extremely daunting. I. I I hated that committee, as, as you can well understand, anybody could. It was awful questions to ask someone who had just been through a very horrible situation. Yeah, absolutely. Just to be, like, measured up to see if you're a contaminant to your congregation, <laughs> essentially. Uh, they reproved me. I was not disfellowshipped. Um, they said because I showed remorse. I was, yeah, I was remorseful of everything that happened, but not for the reasons that they thought. Right. Um, <laughs> So, you know, this man that I had the situation with in Washington became a danger. He began to stalk my family, continuously stalk me. Um, it, it was a big deal. So, so he wasn't, I ended like, up arrested or anything? He had been arrested and let go for several things, not only for what he did. And he's still... <laughs> Um, on a side note, he is still doing what he does. I, you know, I still keep tabs and he still comes in and out of jail for assaulting several women, theft, <sighs> you name it. Horrible. So that's another topic about our justice system that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ended up having to move to Alaska to get away from it, um, from the situation. And at that point I was on my own. I didn't have family. I did. 
uh, go to the congregation, one of the congregations there locally uh, for a few months, and I stopped going. I kind of faded out. Yeah. And I just kind of started living a very self-destructive life. Mm. Um, but just became a party girl, basically. I just didn't have any, um, there were no limits for me. I just, I guess, didn't want to think about anything at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but soon after I started to, a couple of years of that, I realized that was not sustainable. I started to go to therapy and get some help um, <clears throat> to kind of, you know, get me to, to a healthy place. And, you know, it just took t- so many years. I can go on and on, but I did end up going back to meetings again for about a year. Um, when it came back to going door to door, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I moved away from my family again. I, I just faded out, you know, just, and I, I still just faded. I've, I haven't been officially disfellowshipped. I'm not going to give them that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not going to play by but, the rules. No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, so I just faded out and, and all this time I had never become an apostate. I still had not read one thing against the organization. I, I sustained still defending them saying there are very good people in, um, uh, the witnesses and there are, there are some, some very nice, good people in there that mean well, they've just been brainwashed. Sure. Um, but I used to just say, Hey, you know, Jehovah's witnesses are awesome. It's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Until, I'm, my anger is basically mostly at the organization itself, not. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. And that's, I think what some people don't understand later on, I did go and do research on the organization itself mm-hmm. on the corruption. And that was a whole different level. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was very angry. I was so angry when I actually learned the truth about the, what goes on at the top. Hmm. And, you know, that's when I wanted to become an advocate. And that's when I kind of changed how I saw things. And this was way after I faded. This was very very long. I would say about five years after I faded. Mm -hmm. Then I started digging deeper into that. And that's when I decided to speak out. Um, I know that at any moment, my family will find something at social on social media, even though I'm not disfellowshipped and that will be the end of that. So I feel like the clock is ticking. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I know how you feel on that one. <laughs> my... <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're at. Like that's it. I just like garbled out my whole story. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, when you faded, was there like a point where you were just like, okay, this is my last meeting or was it just like you went to your last meeting and then, you just stopped going or was it like just a gradual, like fewer and fewer meetings or did you just like absolutely cut it off and, and just stop going? You know, I knew for a long time before I stopped going and it is kind of like being in a toxic relationship where like, I have to end this. I have to end this. This has to stop, but there's never the perfect timing for it. Oh, of course not. No. (laughs) So I, you know, I had, the advantage that I did like to travel a lot that made fading easier for me. Oh, okay. um, because I was able to like skip off to another state and not have my card transferred. You know, just kind of disappear, ignore calls until I kind of just faded away. Right, it, it's a bit of a process, <laughs> even yeah. if you've moved to the state. Did anybody like try to find out? Like, were they? Did you get the phone calls and the? 
texts and all that stuff or did was it basically just like everybody just assumed you were off somewhere else being a witness no because of my parents uh, you know they would get in touch with the local congregation i'd have them visit me uh, i would still get phone calls uh so that that lingered i think for a good year or two okay of still having uh, them kind of pursue me and try to get behind me but you know i i don't know within moving households a lot and just not responding i imagine they just gave up at okay. some point gotcha <laughs> they had bigger fish to fry maybe yeah well you said you were you became an atheist so how hard was it for you to sit in the meetings without believing what they were saying because i i know from my personal perspective uh, I went to a few meetings after I stopped believing, and it was just the hardest, absolute hardest thing to sit through and just listen to um, stuff that I felt was ridiculous. Did you have that same experience? Oh, absolutely. I, I can't tolerate more than five minutes of it because <sighs> none of it is based on any actual truth or evidence. And, and it doesn't make sense the more you realize the rhetoric it is very hard to sit through and, and stomach it. And, you know, that's, I think this happens to a lot of people who are scared to leave or fade is that once you put the pieces together, you just can't stay. Right. So after some time, even if you're there because you don't want to lose your family, you don't want to get shunned. Right. And, and that's a big deal, but it does makes it so much harder. So to answer your question, absolutely. I felt just like you did. Hmm. Very difficult. Was there anyone in the congregation that you felt you could confide in? Did you have any friends, actual witness friends at any point? Or did you just kind of butt heads with them most of the time? I only had witness friends as an adult because even as a child, my mom didn't allow me to have any friends. They were all bad association. But Even from the as, Kingdom Hall? Yes, absolutely. She would find something wow. wrong with them. Oh, my gosh. Very isolated. Yeah. Um, wasn't until I left the home, actually, I think I was 18 or 19, that I was kind of allowed to. My mom didn't question that hmm. because she saw that if I wasn't allowed friends from the Kingdom Hall, obviously I, I needed some friends. I was going the worldly route. Um, so I think that's why in her head she made the exception. And I've had a, a couple of, of good friends, um, a handful of people that I was very close to, wonderful uh, two of them now have faded out and thankfully I, I had, you know, I had faith in them. <laughs> I was like, you're intelligent friends. You have to know this is a lie. But, you know, it wasn't for me to reach out to them and tell them what to think. I just kept my distance from them. And over the years, they came back to me. Oh, that's wonderful. So it's great. It's like you got your friends back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had several friends that way uh, just come out and it's, it, it's a great feeling. Like, uh, just to find out the day you find out that they're gone, that they've left the witnesses is just, it, it's an indescribable feeling. Yeah. It's like how they picture how they taught us the resurrection was. Yeah. When you see your <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, that it is kind of those same feelings. Like, you know, how you feel if you'd see a friend that you never thought you'd see again. And then all of a sudden they can be like back in your life again. That's, it's such an awesome feeling. For sure. Yeah, another like even cooler. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and now they're <laughs> even cooler. Now they can like actually now you can like kind of get to know them again because you know, now you don't have their witness personality to get in the way. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter how many hours you write down on a piece of paper every month. Like it they it doesn't really matter what you do. They can make the choice to be your friend or not. Yep, absolutely. And that that makes it so much better and you know, there it's kind of like, I don't know if this happened with you, with some of your friends that you mentioned mentioned also came back to you, where it's like you just, you knew there was always a, a like spirit, you know, there was yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was always people in the, there was always people in the Kingdom Hall, you just had a personality that, at least for me anyway, that, that I just meshed better with than other people and just gravitated towards spending more time with them than before. So, yeah, I, yeah, that's definitely a great feeling. When you faded out, did you like start celebrating holidays or trying that, those things out? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's not to say that when I faded out and I started doing all these things, I did not feel guilty. I did. I, I -hmm. would wrestle with my conscience still. It felt like I'm doing something bad. There was, there was anxiety, you know? Oh, for I, sure. Just feeling something on my chest, like something bad's going to happen because I'm doing this, you know, uh, celebrating Christmas or just any of the holidays. I felt like, oh, no, now something bad's going to happen to me. Like <laughs> right. my conscience, it was like a weight. It was, it took a while for me to enjoy it. We'll put yeah. it that way. But I absolutely did want to do everything. I absolutely love Halloween. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. It was the best. Holiday yeah. now I've gone through it where it's not as exciting, but definitely cool that I, that I can give that. I have a child now; he's nine, mm. and I love uh, just seeing how excited he is for Halloween. As well. oh, that's, that's so much fun. I have a daughter who's not who's five, and yeah, just the Christmas, the holidays. It's it's like you're almost living vicariously through them a little bit, at least for me. Yes, absolutely. Because it's like you're they're just you're giving them everything that you weren't given as a child. And I think what's very telling is that I assume you're also very protective of your daughter because of our upbringing. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. And we want the best for them and now we know we would never take them to Kingdom Hall. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. Um I don't know. I kind of wrestle with that because it's like I don't one of my, one of the nightmare scenarios I have, I, I guess, I don't know about a nightmare, but it's like, cause you ever, you hear those stories where people come into the witnesses where they have like a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody in their extended family who was a witness a long time ago. And so they're already like sort of familiar with it and they're just like, not, um, I guess inoculated against it. So, you know, you're part of me worries that, you know, if, if she goes to the kingdom hall, she's just going to get sucked into it because, Hey, my grandma was a Jehovah's witness. But at the same time, it's, it's like, they, they're kind of a hard sell for kids for sure. Like they, I mean, if my daughter goes to the kingdom hall, uh, first of all, um, it depends, you know, if they say something anything remotely like everybody's going to die at Armageddon or your parents are going to die at Armageddon. If they don't come to the kingdom hall, that's, you know, that's it. That's no more. Um, 
you know, because you you can't let them undermine you. And and they are one hundred percent going to say that if they go to a meeting. So, you know, that's already a non starter. Absolutely. They just can't help it. That's their doomsday call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's their whole thing. So you know, at the same time, so it's like <laughs> they don't really have a whole lot of to sell my daughter be, or, you know, I'm sure they don't have a lot to sell your son either because it's like they can always come home and, you know, have the holidays and stuff. <laughs> like, do you want to, do you want to not have this or do you want to have this? You know, what kid's going to choose not to? Right. Um, yeah. And, and I almost wanted to, you know, I think, I think the key is just like be honest with them. Uh, when they're at an appropriate age, you can kind of explain what you went through, and I think that probably helps. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So. And I'm not entirely sure on your end um, where you're at with your family, but you know, my family obviously knows that I'm not going to Keenum Hall. They don't know the extent of my feelings towards the organization, mm-hmm. but they know that I'm not active. Um, but it's always the blaming there you know, telling me I'm basically going to kill my son because I'm not taking him to Kingdom Hall. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that is, yeah, I think that would be an immediate end of conversation for me if that came up. (laughs) Right. I have gotten text messages to that effect. So, um, yeah, my family knows that I don't go to Kingdom Hall. Um, They don't know. I, I think I'm kind of in a similar situation. Like, they don't know I'm doing this podcast. Um, I'm sure that you know, if there is a Jehovah's Witness out there somewhere who is bored enough to, you know, start listening to an apostate pod- podcast and figure out who I am, I, it, I, it's not going to be hard. Um, right. Then I guess that's it, what's going to happen is going to happen. But, um, you know, I feel like I have to do this because this is this podcast is for people to just tell their story without having to stop every five minutes and explain who Charles Taze Russell is, what the 144,000 is all that stuff. Like this is a, (laughs) this is very much a, you know, kind of a for us by us kind of podcast where we can just, Hey, what happened to you? And you don't have to stop. You don't have to pause. And I, I love that so much. Um, and I'm, I feel so privileged that Chev has given me the opportunity to um, kind of take over for her as host for a little while um, to just be able to listen to these stories myself um, and do these interviews. It's, it's been a really great thing. Um, That's awesome. You're, you're doing great work. Thank you. Know, you. Uh, I found you through another person that you had interviewed previously, and I've been following her story on social media, and okay. she's still in, you know, and it's just so you know, inspiring. And I feel so bad because I understand that it, you can't just leave and living in that oppression, knowing that it's wrong and having to pretend is awful. Absolutely awful. Oh yeah. So you have a son. So like, how did, are you married? Did you, do you have a, you know, what's, what's the situation? Oh, it's, it's their nightmare. (laughs) I'm I'm not married. Okay. No, 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 it's not a nightmare like for me, but for them. Oh Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not asking you to judge or anything. I'm just interested in how your parent, you know, how your mom and my child, she was actually pretty, pretty nice about it. 
she, I, I told her the situation. That's mm-hmm. why there was a little bit of context there. Um, and I was not wet or anything and I was expecting a child and she just actually focused on the fact that I was having a kid and it made her very happy. So that was unexpected. Oh, wow. Despite the circumstances. <laughs> huh. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Has she like tried to like indoctrinate your child or anything like that? Like, you know how grandparents can be kind of sneaky. Yes. Uh, you know, she'll send, she lives in another state, so she'll send literature through the mail. Oh yeah. Text messages, you know, she'll, she'll sprinkle in things here. Like, you know, you have to teach that's his name about Jehovah. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that, you know, he knows that Jehovah exists, that everything is Jehovah's creation. Um, you know, so she, she keeps that communication open just to make sure that she can kind of get in the message because she really believes it. My father doesn't really talk to me very often. Okay. Is your father a witness he too? He, he's an elder. Okay. So, you're... so every now and then he'll send a text message with a biblical text. Oh, geez. Okay. So he's just <laughs> basically advertising, and that's it. Yes. At first, you didn't consider yourself an apostate. So what was the first, I guess, apostate website, book? Um, what what was the first thing you saw? <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. I was... Um... I was actually just watching music videos. I This was years ago. There was this band called The Cult, mm-hmm. and they had this song play outside. I was watching it on YouTube, and then that YouTube uh, video finished, and you know how it it, it uh, suggests other videos? Yeah. Due to, you know, keywords and such. And so it started bringing up all these suggested videos on just cult, you know, oh, based on okay. And there was one that was about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, oh, do I click it? Do I not? (laughs) I clicked it. And my mind was blown. That was like, that was it for a week. I was just watching it. And I was just, (sighs) wow, blown away. Because these were factual numbers about, you know, contributions, about, you know, the financial part of the organization was actually the first thing I saw. Later on, I got into the abuse. But yeah, uh, I was just like, wow, this is a whole corporation exploiting people. And I was so angry. <laughs> so is a re- so the YouTube algorithm is ultimately to blame for all of this. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, YouTube. It's the devil. <laughs> if they're telling you that meeting, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any advice for somebody who is questioning or has just left? I would say, and this is like coming from a self-declared apostate in their terms, um, lean into those feelings. If you're questioning first, you know, before diving into any research or doing anything crazy, um, ask yourself why you're questioning. What have you seen? And write it down. Make a list. Think about it for a while. And then when you're ready, maybe look up one of those topics. No pressure. The thing is to ease yourself into it. Yeah. Um, because those doubts are there for a reason. Right. And, if you can look at it neutrally, just uh, try to do that. Um, another thing that I would recommend is looking into books. You know, if you're brave enough to look into psychology books, something that doesn't have to do with Jehovah's Witnesses, doesn't have to do with apostates, just on, you know, cognitive skills. 
to sure. maybe help you uh, neutralize your thoughts because there's a lot of bias because of what we've taught. The, the brainwashing has really gotten for us to feel biased and guilty. It's ingrained in us. So definitely start looking into just general psychology books on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the reason I recommend that is because, you know, it's not coming from an apostate source. It's not coming from a Jehovah's witness source. Right. It's a party that's not interested in, in those topics per se. Yeah. And just kind of look around and keep that list of your doubts in mind and let it sit with you when you are ready. There's never any pressure from anybody is to definitely lean into those feelings and look into it further specifically. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree. I think, you know, looking into that stuff at the very least kind of gives you confidence in your feelings. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really strengthens, you know, your doubts. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I I don't believe when you come from a place where you've been told how to think, the last thing you want is somebody else to tell you how to think, even if it's the opposite thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, At least for me. I don't, I don't want to be told how to think. Right. And, you know, when the witnesses talked, when the witnesses do their thing, you know, you, if you don't know about things like logical fallacies and other things like that, some people can maybe kind of get a sense that it doesn't make sense, but they can't like really articulate why it doesn't make sense. And, and, exactly. and, and then you can apply that to so many things. And once you apply it to the organization and the witnesses, then you realize this is, pertinent to many things in life too oh absolutely the beauty of it yeah (laughs) it's a useful tool in life yep Uh, you know that's why the awareness is so important and yeah i I always think that if somebody's having doubts take it easy and it they make it so you don't want to because apostates are described as so ugly so absolutely ugly and you know i know that there are some i found online you know from the 70s era and the 60s that are extremely you know their lives were ruined they yeah they did a lot of things because of the end of times and they do hold some bitterness um understandably so i also don't want that to overtake my life there's a there's a thin line between the awareness and helping people and then living like where you never get out of being in the organization because you're so angry and and bitter about it yeah um the best thing for me and i know that's what you're doing as well is just try to help others you know yep yeah or move get... on with your life you know if you're not inclined to be an advocate yeah. then move on with your life you know yep. try to be the best person you can seek the help that you need uh you know just one step at a time because deprogramming is so difficult is just kind of trying new things every day just oh yeah you know do what you can 